chapter 24. If you don't have your Bibles, they're in the sermon notes. Um, if you don't have sermon notes, but you have a phone, you can probably find it on your phone also. So um, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 24. And last week um, I mentioned, and the week before I mentioned that realistic expectations are, ex are essential for the success of any venture. That we can honestly see, okay, if this happens, these are the expectations, this is what could happen. And so before I even go into the venture, I've sort of set my mind up of what are the possibilities. And Jesus is doing that for the disciples. But not only is he doing it for the disciples, he does it for us. He said, this is reality. This is what is going to take place. Um, this is what's going to go, the disciples are going to go through. And not only the disciples, but all believers are going to go through some of these things until the second coming of Christ. And so he's tempting to explain to them in this whole passage what they are to expect in the world and from the world between his two comings. And last week we started uh, chapter 24, verses 15 through 31, and we got to about verse 24. But in that passage, Jesus specifies his instructions for his followers in Jerusalem who are about to undergo severe testing um, for the years to come. It's not just going to be for a couple of weeks, but this is going to be from the time of Jesus' ascension until their death, that they are going to be going through all of these trials and these tribulations. But in the process, he also teaches us truth, which are relevant and important for Christians of all generations. And there's one school that will sit there and just focus on, oh, this all happened during the time of Jesus, and we don't have to worry about it. And there's another school that says, no, this is, this is for us also. But as you look at the passage, you see that Jesus is constantly informing them in many different ways about the importance of persevering. That we're going to go through struggles, we're going to go through trials, and it's important for us to persevere. In fact, that's one of the major themes throughout chapter 24 and 25. That is, people need to be ready to persevere until the end. And we know from Jesus' own application that one of the practical purposes of the Bible's teachings about the end times is to warn people, let them know what to expect, so that they can persevere through all of it. Now, all of this is coming from the first three verses of chapter 24, where Jesus is asked two, well, more than two, but two key questions. In the first, uh, in verse 3, it says, tell us, when will these things be? And secondly, what will be the sign of your coming? So he's asking, they're asking two questions, or two, questions, two parts of the same question. When will this stuff take place? But not only will this take place, then when will you be coming back? And in verses 4 through 26, he starts to explain all of that. And this is how things are going to happen. And there's going to be the destruction of Jerusalem. And there's going to be persecution. And there's going to be all of these things. There's going to be famine. There's going to be destruction. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. 
um, and they will see the destruction of Israel and the temple with their own eyes. But here, especially in verse 27 through 21, 31, Jesus turns directly. He sort of flips the coin and focuses on his second coming and begins to speak about his second coming, not just about what's going to happen you know, to, to, to the destruction of the temple, but now his second coming. So turn to Matthew 24, verses 23 through 31, and go ahead and read that on your own. Heavenly Father, as we come to this passage, we ask that you would just open our eyes to see your truth for our lives. And again, we are tempted when we come to passages like this to think of it as some kind of a puzzle that we have to solve. That we have to put dates and times and events so that we can sort of figure out what's happening. Um, but by doing that, many times we just miss the important lessons that you have for us, the challenges. And so help us not to miss those, but to open our hearts and our minds to the fullness of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In these verses, it's vital that Christians watch for his coming, that we are ready for his coming, and that we prepare for his coming. Um, we see that in these verses. And it's, again, I think it's interesting because if you take a look at writings from uh, pastors and commentators from 100 years ago, the whole idea of the imminent return of Christ was always on their mind. And in other countries, it's always been on their mind. And so you just see that. In the United States, we get so comfortable or we focus on other issues that the idea of Jesus' return being tomorrow is not a thought. It's not even a thought. And because it's not a thought, I think that the whole idea of evangelism has been lost. Um, the whole idea of serving has been lost. The whole idea of the Lordship of Christ has been lost because it's been replaced with comfort. It's been replaced with 
a form of Christianity that is played out in the United States that doesn't get played out in the rest of the world. Um, and because we in the United States think that everything revolves around us, we just assume that whatever we have to say or the way we believe it is true. And so we begin to allow our theology to be impacted by our culture instead of going right back to the word and say, wait a second, what does Christ say? And so I mentioned a couple weeks ago that the first lesson we learn is that when it comes to life, when it comes to the end times, when it comes to the things that we're going through, that the scripture has to be the guide, not opinions or feelings or thoughts. Um, but anyway, so according to Jesus, it is vital that we as Christians watch for his coming, that we are ready for his coming, that we prepare for his coming. And so a logical question to enter into our minds is, okay, how do we do that? How does one go about watching for his coming? How is one prepared for his coming? And what must a person do to be ready for the coming of Jesus? And so much of what Jesus teaches in Matthew 24 and 25 is just an answer to those questions. And this section could be broken down into two sections. If you look at verses 24 or 23 to 26, we see here Jesus giving a warning against deception. And he has said that in previous verses. He's constantly warning us about deception, that we need to be prepared, that we need to be endure tribulations and trial. Uh, but in this passage, he's going to come back and tell us again not to be deceived, not to be misled. And that's what you see in verses 23 and 26. And then when you look at verses 27 through 31, here he turns our attention to the issue of his second coming. And this, this section, he answers the disciples' questions about his coming. He speaks of its nature and of the timing and the return of Jesus. Um, so again, in verses 24 through 26, we learn that here that all Christians, not just the disciples of Jesus' day, but all Christians must be on guard against false messiahs and false prophets. It is amazing when you take a look at some of the teachings that you will hear if you just sat down with the scripture and tied to those teachings, you'd say, you know, that all sounds fine and good and enjoyable, but it doesn't square with the word of God. And yet, people will say that. I know it's not biblical, but I like it. And I enjoy it. So I listen to it. And then they start to base their belief system on what they like, not on the truth. Um, and so verse 24, Jesus says, there's going to be false prophets who are going to come. And you're going to listen to them. Or people are going to listen to them. And then he goes on and says, they're going to perform miracles. And he doesn't even say that they're going to be false miracles. False prophets will come and do signs and wonders, but don't be deceived by them. But how quickly, when people are in pain, or people are hurting, or they're up against the wall, instead of looking at the hard truth of God, they will, pick it, they will reach out for almost any straw of hope and say, I'm going to try that. I'm going to do this. 
and it may not be squared with the scripture, but I'm just going to try it. And so they listen to the things that they want to hear instead of the hard truth of what the scripture says. And Jesus is saying, don't be deceived. Don't follow that. And then it says, if it were possible, they would deceive the very elect. If it were possible, they would even deceive the very elect. Now, it isn't possible to deceive the elect. Otherwise, he'd say they shall deceive the very elect. So it's, all, so it's absolutely true that you can't, that that cannot happen. But at the same time, in the same hand, he says, but don't be deceived. And those are one of those things in the scripture where you have what looks like one truth on this hand and another truth on this hand. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to say, you know what? I'm sort of like Calvin. I didn't quite get that one. I didn't fully understand how that worked together. But I, what I do know is even we may, a person may not lose their salvation, but they can follow falsehood that takes them down a road that makes life very, very difficult. And so here's this warning. And he's saying, don't be deceived. Get back to it. I was, I was, I'm always interested in the hurricanes. Now, I'm not interested in the hurricane itself or the destruction, but I'm, I'm just so interested in the fact that a week ahead of the hurricane, they know the hurricane's coming. And then three days before the hurricane, they know the hurricane's coming. And they're sending out all the warnings and telling people to evacuate and do all of that. And then like the day before the hurricane, there's miles of lines of people at stores and at gas stations because the hurricane's coming. And I just find that interesting. Because if you knew a week ago, why are you waiting till today to go get their supplies, to go get gas, to go prepare, and start you know, nailing up things and doing all of that? They wait until the last minute. I think we do the same thing with Christ. Christ says, I'm coming. Yeah, I know, but that's not going to be for a while. So I can just continue to live my life as it is. And then it says, well, Christ might be coming sooner. Well, I know, but it's not really imminent. And then we get the tornado warning. See, we don't get hurricane war warnings. Also, we get a tornado warning, and they can come like that. And we no longer have time to prepare. It's It's coming. And I think that that's a tremendous lesson for me that God warns us and warns us and warns us and warns us and then when it happens we act surprised and yet he set us up right from the beginning saying this is going to happen folks and you're living in this world of pretense that it's not going to happen and it's going to happen and it takes people by surprise um, and then, the other thing that always amazes me about hurricanes, they say, 
evacuate and people go, I'm going to wait this one out. I'm just going to wait this one out. And again, that sort of reminds me of the rapture. Okay, now I know you're coming, but I'm going to wait this one out. I'm going to see what happens after the fact. It's crazy. But that's what people do. Um, so he's telling us to be diligent, tell us to be responsible. The truth is that God will hold us in his palm of his hand, and he will never forsake us. He will never leave us. But it doesn't take away our responsibility to be watchful, to be diligent, to persevere. Now, in verse 25, Jesus reiterates to his disciples that he has told them ahead of time that false prophets and false messiahs are going to come. He has prepared them. They know what to expect. But he not only prepares his disciples because it happened then, it is still happening. And it continues to happen. So he's preparing us too. He said, folks, I've given you the word of God so that when somebody comes and teaches you something that is not consistent with this truth, you know it's a falsehood. So know his word. That's how we are watchful. That's how we are prepared because we have taken the time to know his word so we don't listen to any kind of teaching that may distract us from his truth. Can you imagine the disciples, if Jesus had it, told them what to expect? And all this is going on, and afterwards they just sort of scratch and they're said, what? man, what, what happened here? We weren't anticipating that. But they didn't have to do that because Jesus had told them what was going to happen. We also don't have to scratch our heads and say, I wasn't expecting that because Jesus is sitting there saying, it's going to happen. You can expect it. And again, in verse 26, he repeats um, about, it, you know, that Jesus doesn't come secretly. So don't, if somebody says he came in secret, go out into the wilderness because Jesus is there or go into this room because Jesus is there. No. When Jesus comes, everyone will see it. Everyone will see it. Um, so his coming is going to be unmistakable, and anyone who teaches a, sec a secret coming of the Messiah is teaching directly against what Jesus said. Now again, this whole passage reminds us that as Christians, we must cautiously and wisely and biblically be watchful for Christ's coming. But this doesn't mean we're looking for signs. It doesn't mean we sit there and check out the news every day and say, okay, this thing is getting worse, or this is happening here, or this is doing that. Because those things are going to happen regardless of whether or not we're aware of it or not. What he tells us, it means that we are to have faith in Christ. That in the midst of all the things that are going on, our faith in Christ. But not only faith in Christ, but also believing in his word. So those two things tied together keep us watchful. Um, these are the two things we need. It is essential if we're going to be watchful that we are trusting what Jesus said, that we are believing in the word which Christ has given us here in the scripture. So that's how a Christian prepares. It's not saying, okay, this event's going to take place on August of 2020, 
So before that happens, I better stock up. I better do this. I better do that. I better, you know, sell my 401k or, you know, because he's coming back, I'll sell everything and just go on a week's vacation. Um, you know, it's no. It's getting into his word and saying, regardless of what happens, I'm ready because of my relationship with Christ, because he set me up with the right expectations, and I know these things are going to happen, and I know what's going, how to respond. Jesus' words here are no less applicable for us. We must be, be ready to trust in him. Um, now, again, it says that we all are going to endure trials. We're all going to get in deep water. We're all going to get in deep weeds. There's also going to be trials. There's going to be tribulations to endure. And Jesus is saying when that happens, we must be ready to trust his word even more. Because when people are in the midst of a trial, they tend to just grasp at straws. They will grasp at anything to find help. John Calvin, in his commentary on Matthew, says, Nothing is more deadly for men who do not know which way to turn in their adversity than to be deceived. And that's what happens to us. We get into adversity, and people will start looking for any kind of theology, any kind of belief system that will sort of make them live in their continued sense of denial in hopes that everything will go away. We put our heads in the sand thinking, well, this isn't really happening. And I said, no, it is happening, and this is why you have to rely on Christ. So our anchor, our belief, our hope has to be in Christ and his word. And so his words are profoundly practical. Well, then in verse 27, he goes on to speak of his suffering coming. And it says, in contrast to the false prophets and false messiahs of verse 26, who say that they are coming, Jesus says, no, I'm going to come and you're going to know it. Now, where it gets difficult and where there's been a lot of debate and a lot of question, a lot of confusion, is when we get to verse 29. So verse 29, it says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky. The powers of heaven will be shaken. The signs of Son of Man will appear in the sky. All the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with great power and glory. Now, he's been talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, all that tribulation. And then it says, after that tribulation, Jesus will immediately return. And so for a lot of people, they said, well, he must have come in secret. He must have come. Or they'll say, it's not true. Jesus didn't come. He didn't come right after the tribulation. And the whole issue revolves around the words, those days. Because are those days the days of the, the disciples? Or are those days the days between the two comings of Jesus? And when you see that, that those days are not only the days up to the destruction of Jerusalem, but those days are all the days until Jesus returns, 
Then you see the prophecies that just didn't end in Jerusalem, but you see the prophecies going on until the return of Christ. And then it's pretty easy to not have any difficulty with the recognition that he's not talking about he's going to come right after the destruction of Jerusalem. He's going to come after the sun goes dark, the moon goes dark, the earth pretty much stops. And that whole verses there show the power of God. That all of this is going to take place before his return. And we sit back and think, God really isn't in control? That he doesn't have the power, he doesn't have the authority, he doesn't have the ability to do these things? And then we try to put a timeline on God of when this is going to happen, how it's going to happen, and this seven and a half, seven years, and three and a half, and 90 days, and, you know, really? That's not near as important as recognizing that he is coming back. And we don't know when he's coming back. And if I don't know when he's coming back, that should be the number one reason that I am there serving God's people, serving God, and letting people know about Christ. Because if you really did believe that Christ was coming tomorrow, who would be the one person that you'd want to tell about Christ? Who would be the one person that you would want to say, listen, I got firsthand information. Christ is returning tomorrow. And you're not ready. Now, people will go to jail for insider trading. Hey, I got a deal for you. And people are willing to sell almost anything. Saying, hey, I've got a deal for you. But when it comes to Christ's return and eternity, we sort of say, eh, we got plenty of time to talk about that. But you, you need to buy this today. You need to buy this today. And that's why our culture has changed the way it looks at the end times. Because a hundred years ago, we didn't have the prosperity gospel. We had the imminent return of Christ. And that's been a huge change. So he says, just immediately, and this concept of immediately, or the imminence of Christ, is an important one for the Christian living. R.A. Torrey wrote, The imminent return of our Lord is the great biblical argument for a pure, unselfish, devoted, unworldly, active life of service. I was talking to a person who was talking about a behavior that he, 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 he knew was wrong. And I asked him, I said, who's the most important person in your life? And he said, well, probably my mom. Okay. If your mom was with you when you were doing that behavior, would you be doing that behavior? And he goes, no way. Okay. If Christ 
is the most important person in our life and he is with us and he is returning, should that somehow change some of our behavior? How we treat one another, how we act towards one another, how we live our lives, how we serve in our families, how we serve others, how we function in trusting him. The, the disciples, they, they weren't expecting this to happen. They didn't expect to go through all these trials and tri tribulations because they thought that Jerusalem was going to succeed, Romans were going to get kicked out, Jesus was going to start his kingdom, and right off the bat, we're going to be sitting on the thrones with Jesus and everybody's going to be taking care of us. And Jesus goes, no, it's going to be pretty much the opposite. It's going to be pretty much the opposite. So he says, you're going to be undergoing persecution for my sake. Um, and that, that tribulation and all of that's going to happen. Peace, all of that's going to come after. After it all. When I return, I will restore all of that. Um, again, he tells us in verse 29, when it comes, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the skies and the powers of heaven will be shaking. Those are descriptive words of the power, the awesomeness of God. And then we, in verse 30, we make, it makes it clear that Jesus, that the Son of Man is coming again. And that's the one truth that you can hold on to. When it's going to happen, how it's going to happen, whether you're an amillennialist, a postmillennialist, a premillennialist, a premillennialist, mid-trib, post-trib, you know, um, I missed one of them. Mid, post, pre, pre. Um, or a Peterist or, you know, I mean, all of them. It doesn't matter. What should be driving us is the fact that he's coming back. So the Lord, of, the Lord Jesus Christ is something that God calls upon us to cultivate in our hearts. The coming of him. An affection, a desire. And Jesus teaches us about it in his word. Now when we see all of this, just sort of review the last, the, the, those verses. In verse 25, Jesus warns us ahead of time in order to strengthen our confidence in his word. If he warns us, and it's true, then I can trust his word in all areas of my life. And I won't be fooled by false messiahs. In verse 25, Jesus warns us ahead of time in order to strengthen our confidence in his word and to prepare us. In verse 26, Jesus tells us that his coming will not be in private, that everyone will see it. In verse 27, Jesus makes it clear that his coming is going to be sudden and unmistakable. In verse 28, he tells us that it's no more possible to miss his coming than for vultures to miss a dead carcass on the highway of the road. In verse 29, he tells us that his coming will occur, occur only after much tribulation. It'll be accompanied by transformation of the world. And then in verse 31, we read that his coming will be heard as it is seen, and it'll be a great day of triumph for his people who will be gathered to him. This is the part that I find interesting. People who are preparing 
for the return of Christ return, are focusing on all the destruction of the earth. I think it's the opposite. I think it should be a time of rejoicing because it's going to be the return of Christ and a new earth. And so instead of it's the destruction of something, it is the creation of something new. And it's something that we can rejoice and be joyful about for the elect. Because it says, those who are in Christ will be rejoicing. Those who aren't will be mourning. So depending on where you are in Christ, this will be a great time of rejoicing or a great time of grieving, of sorrow. The Westminster Confession in the Last Judgment right, summarizes this passage. As Christ would have us be certainly persuaded that there shall be a day of judgment both to deter all men from sin and for the greater consolation of the godly in their adversity, so will he have that day unknown to men that they may shake off all carnal security and be always watchful because they know not what hour the Lord may come and may ever be prepared to say, Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Father, we know that you're coming again. Your word is clear about that. And Lord, it's because it's an unknown in our minds of when that's going to happen, how it's going to happen, there's something inside of us that wants to complete every puzzle. But in the process of trying to complete a puzzle, trying to put a time frame to it, to try to be able to have some knowledge that somebody else doesn't know, we lose sight of the lessons that you have for us. We lose sight of the simple truth that if we truly believe that you could come at any time, it would change the way we treat one another. It would change the way we live our lives. It would change the way we witness to those that we love and the ones that you bring into our world. So Father, just keep us mindful to, to, to remove the distractions, to, to forget that, or to remove the idea that this, is, this isn't going to happen in our lifetime, and so it will never happen in our lifetime, so we don't even have to worry about it. And even if it doesn't happen in our lifetime, we know that we've been called to be watchful, to be prepared, to persevere, to be diligent, and to continue at the end of this chapter to go forth and make disciples, or at the end of this book, to go forth and make disciples of all nations. And how easy it is to get distracted from the great commandment and the great commission. So Father, continue to move in our hearts. Let your word just become so real and so evident that we just live it out. Again, we thank you, we praise you, and we ask these things. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.